if you would take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 11. And I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through, them, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the, bitly, uh, all the building fitly framed together groweth an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I titled the message tonight, the work of the master craftsman. The work of the master craftsman. So let's pray and then we'll look at this passage of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open thy precious word. And we thank you, Father, that in the word of God we have all things that pertains unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And Father, we pray as we look into the word of God tonight that you give us understanding into thy precious word, help me to rightly divide thy word, and may we make application to our lives for our good and thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for many years, portions of the scripture passage was confusing to me, but once I understood what the church is, things began began to clear up. But let's see, just to rehearse a little bit, last week, of course, in the beginning, in chapter 2, the first 10 verses, we talked about our past and our present and how we walked according to the course of this world. We were without God. We were, uh, you know, we all were children of uh, disobedience, children of wrath, and that was our nature. And I said that there is no such thing as a naturally good person. You know, we may look at people as good people, but it's because they've been trained to be good. They've been trained to be good. We're not born naturally good. We're born naturally wicked. Uh, I've often used the illustration of trying to explain the, the nature of sin and, and 
how it's passed on from generation to generation to, to, to parents in particular. Do you ever have to teach your kids to tell lies? I don't think my kids are any worse than anybody else's, but I didn't have to teach mine to tell lies. And my parents, guess what? My parents didn't have to teach theirs to tell lies either. There's, so again, there's none of us that are naturally good. Left to ourselves, we'd be like brute beasts. In fact, men can be worse than brute beasts. Animals don't do to each other what people do to each other. But as, we, as, we, as that is our background, again, he uses the word wherefore, so it's kind of a connection word, taking it back to remember what we've just studied. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. So, and, and, of course, he concludes this with a building, a temple, a habitation of God. And so I'm going to liken this to taking raw materials and making a building something of a fine craftsman out of it. So well, the first thing I'll notice here is the raw materials, verses 11 and 12. It says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, well, that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we were. This was the raw materials, or he, you know, he's telling the Gentiles here, the Ephesians, ye were the raw materials, so to speak. Raw means not having undergone process of preparing, dressing, finishing, or refining. It's crude in quality and character. It's not tempered or refined by art or taste. It's ignorant, inexperienced, and untrained. That's what raw means. And he says, you were the uncircumcised. You were the considered the godless of this world. You were without. That means you were separated from God. You, he calls them, he said, you were aliens from, from the covenant. That means you were shut out from the covenants of God. You were not God's chosen people, chosen to be his witnesses. You know, Israel was a peculiar people. They were chosen to be God's witnesses to the world. And Paul tells us in Romans especially, and let's go back there to Romans chapter 3, there were great advantages to being a Jew, to being an Israelite. In Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and verse 1, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there in circumcision? Of course, circumcision was the sign of their covenant with the God. It says, Much every way, verse 2, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So to committed to the Jews or to the Israelites was the word of God. They had, been, they had the privilege of receiving the word of God. The revelation of God. They had the scriptures. They had God reveal himself to them through, his, through the Old Testament scriptures. And of course, I believe all the New Testament writers were Jewish as well. Except maybe outside chance of Luke. So uh, they had received the oracles of God. The word of God was given to the Jews. In chapter 9 of Romans, in verses 1 through 5, again, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost. I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's Romans 9. Verse 4, he says, who are Israelites 
To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. You know, all the, all the promises of the Old Testament are given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Chapter 15, again in verse 8, he said, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So again, you know, of course, all those fathers referred to was, was the Jews. And, and you remember when Paul started out this book in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation uh, to everyone that believeth, but to the Jew, what? First. The Jew first. And do you remember in Matthew chapter 15, there was a Canaanite woman came to Jesus and begged him to help her with her daughter. He paid no attention to her. He ignored her. And she begged him, and it was such a bother to him that the disciples said, send her away. And finally he said, I'm not sent, but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which she said, yes, Lord. Now I can't remember what she said, but she said, even the, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. You see, they were considered the outcasts. Gentiles were the outcasts. They were outside of all the covenants and the privileges that the children of Israel had. You know, so the Hebrews had a great advantage, and they were given the privileges of the knowledge of the truth. They had received the Old Testament scriptures, and of course the circumcision, which is a sign of that covenant with God. They had God reveal himself to them in a real and personal way. Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses was called the man of God. David was called the man after God's own heart. Do you know any Gentiles were given those kind of descriptions? And, and he says, we were, we were outside of all that. We were without God and with, without hope in this world. But so notice the second thing, that was all rectified by Christ. It was all rectified by Christ. Notice in verse 13 it says, but now, I like the buts here in this chapter. Verse 4, there's a but there, but God, who is rich in mercy. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, you know, you were far away, you were far off, are made nigh or brought near, by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, came and preached peace to you which were afar off, to them that were nigh. For through him... 
we both have, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So we have been made, notice, we have been made nigh. Made nigh. You know, we, have been, we have been made nigh, we've been made righteous. That means it's someone or something outside of ourselves has given us this standing wherein we are. We've been made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be a sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it's God that's made us righteous. It's God that's brought us or made us nigh by the blood of Christ. He's brought us in, if you will. And so, and, and we see here several things. First of all, he is our peace. Now, it changes from ye were without hope to now he is our so he's talking now about both Gentile and Jew. He's our peace. He's the one who has brought us into harmony or into relationship and at peace with God and has brought concord or harmony between Jew and Gentile. So he is our peace. He has also abolished the enmity. In verse uh, uh, 15 says, Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. He's abolished that enmity, or that word abolished means he's caused to cease, he's put an end to, he's done away with. You know, when the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, he, had put, he, was, he was signifying he's put an end to the ordinances contained in commandments. He's put an end to that the way to approach God was through the Jewish temple or the Aaronic priesthood. It's over. It's no more. It's no more. And now Hebrews 10, 19, and 21 tells us, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh and having the high priest over the house of God. So he's abolished that approach to God. You know, in the Old Testament times, they had to go to the priest and give him the sacrifice. And once a year, that high priest would take the sacrifice for the nation into the Holy of Holies for the sins of the people. But that's over. It's abolished. And you think about that, a Gentile could not even do that. They were not allowed into the temple. You see, we really were on the outside. We really were without hope. We really were aliens. But Christ has abolished it. He's rectified. And not only that, not only is he our peace and he's abolished it, but he's also unified both in one body. In verses 16 through 18, it says that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, 
came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So he's unified both in one body, the church, and and he, and he, and he says, you know, there, there's one cross. He's done this through, through his cross. There's one cross. There's one gospel, verse 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, we Gentiles, and to them that were nigh. Those Jews needed it too. They need the same gospel that we that were far off did. There's no difference. You know, Peter told them to repent. And be baptized. And we also, we both have one spirit. Verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So we have all these things in common now. There's one cross where our Christ was crucified. There's one gospel message. There is one spirit of God. And, and this, we both have the same access. In chapter 4, he elaborates a little bit on that in verses 4 through 6. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, where he says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, there's only one God. There's only one body. There's only one spirit. Only one Lord, one baptism, that's water. We all serve the same God. In fact, chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 6 says, He's raised us up together. Verse 14 says, He is our peace. And again, again verse, 15, or verse 16 says, He reconciled both unto God in one body. So he has unified us. See, Christ, our Christ, our, our Lord Jesus Christ rectified our situation and he has unified us and brought us together in the one body. Now there is no difference. In fact, when Paul was writing to the church at Colossae in uh, verse uh, in chapter 3, In uh, verse 10, he says, And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. There's no difference. And actually, and then drop down to verse 25, that chapter says, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. See, God doesn't respect one above another. God doesn't have favorites. And so we have been rectified. Our, our situation has been rectified by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's just the third thing here we see is the renovation of God. Now, I like this, being in construction for so long. I can understand this. Verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we see here the renovation of God that God does in our life. The word renovation means to remake or recreate. So a picture, if you will. You know, we, we, we drive down the road, we look at houses all finished and looking nice. They don't just come that way. You know, where it start, you know what it starts with? It starts with one of those trees standing out there in the forest. And most people look at a tree and say, it's no good to me. But to be of value, that tree has to be cut down and cut up, remade into boards, two by fours, two by sixes, two by eights, two by tens, one by fours, one by sixes, all that good stuff. And then take a job site and cut the lengths, angles. Yeah, we just framed an addition on a house. And it's, it's intriguing to me to watch how you cut these angles and then you put everything, all the pieces together and it makes a house. You know, I, I've, I've never had the opportunity, even though I grew up in Amish country, uh, barn raising is not something you see anymore, but I never really had the opportunity to watch an Amish barn raising. Now, my dad said he, he had seen them, but, but in the old days, they used to use what they call pin and mortise to build the big dairy barns, like in Pennsylvania, the big high barns. They used what they called it pin and mortise, where they, at the end of the log, there may be an eight, eight by eight log, and it might be 15, 20 feet long, and at the end of it, they cut a, a, a notch, a notch, maybe a notch in it, and in that notch, you know, there's a, there's a hole in the center, and in that notch, there's a hole drilled through it. And the log that meets that has a, a piece sticking out of it that fits in that notch, and it also has a hole drilled through it. And then they'll take a wooden peg about that big around and drive it in those holes. Now, Dad told me that the master craftsman would prepare all that stuff. And it would be laying on the ground, all cut to fit the day of the barn raising. All the pins, all the notches, and all they did was stick it together and drive the pins in. Now, I grew up in one of those barns. There's a lot of logs. I mean, I used to run across them 20 feet up when I was younger and had better balance. Yeah. And there was these wooden pegs sticking in them. And, and so they would prepare all that. It would be laying on the ground, and they'd come stick it together on the day of the barn raising. See, it had to be prepared. And God has worked in our lives. He has remade us and given us some things here. First of all, we see that we have been entered into the kingdom 
you notice in verse 19, it says, Now therefore you no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So we're not strangers. We're not without knowledge or without a share in, is the idea of a stranger there. We're not foreigners or one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship or without citizenship in God's kingdoms. We are now entered into the kingdom of God. Through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and there's an interesting statement he makes that I thought was applicable here. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, the centurion, it says in Matthew 8, 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. To my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have found not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. God has made us or entered us into his kingdom. We are children of the kingdom of God. Colossians tells us that we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So we have become Come, citizens of the kingdom of God. We are also members of the family of God. Notice again verse 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The household, the word household here means belonging to the house or family, related by blood, kindred, belonging to God's household. We now have the same father, as a saved Jewish person does. We have the same father that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob do. And Moses, and David, and Daniel. We have the same father. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, we've been brought into the family of God. We have the same Father. Matthew 5.45 says, That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Not only do we have the same father, we have the same, and I say this reverently, but it is true, elder brother. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 20, verse 17, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father. And to my God and to your God. 
You see, we have the same father and we have the same elder brother. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Of course, that's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sanctifier. Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is, our, he is the firstborn of the brethren. Of course, the firstborn speaks of special rights and privileges. It speaks of authority. It speaks of priesthood. It, it, it speaks of, uh, of, of uh, a position uh, with the Father. So he is, so we do have this new relationship. We are in the family of God. We have the same Father, and we have the same elder brother. The firstborn, the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only do we have have we been entered into the kingdom of God, been made members of the family of God, but we are part of the dwelling place of God. Verse 20 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly Framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. He says, you are the dwelling place. And again, he's, he's speaking here to the church at Ephesus. And, it says, and he's saying, what ye are the dwelling place or the habitation of God. The place where God meets. And ye are that dwelling place. The place where God is glorified. The place or the body through which God is witnesses to the world. That is the church. That's the church, the body of Christ. It's the place where God meets with his people. Go, go to, follow me here, go to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. You know, God has always had a special place where he meets with his people and where his glory is manifested. In the Old Testament, it started with the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And in chapter 40, you know, they... The rest of these chapters are all about making that sanctuary and preparations for it. You know, really, we're talking about the tabernacle. And in chapter 40, in verses 33 and 34, after it's all finished, it says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, for the cloud abode up thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle. And then you go to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5. After they are in the land, of course, David desired to build a temple. 
and house to the Lord. And the Lord didn't allow him to build it, but Solomon built it. And in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Thou knowest that David my father could not build a house under the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side. And the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I purpose to build a house under the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. And then chapter 8, Solomon finishes the temple or the house of the Lord. In chapter 8, verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud again filled the, the cloud filled the temp, uh, the house of the Lord, so the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So, so now we see that cloud that was in the tabernacle fills the temple that Solomon has built. It's the place where God meets with His people corporately. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. There's that word building again. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he build thereupon. For the foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, that, that is laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye, this word's plural here, ye, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man devour the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And so, now he says, ye are the temple of God, or ye are the dwelling place of God. And we find evidence that God filled them like he, with, with his glory, like in the Old Testament times, on the day of Pentecost. They were empowered by God. And, and so, now... No longer is the temple the place of God's dwelling place in Jerusalem. It's church. It's church. It's where His glory is, be, is to be revealed, is revealed. As Ephesians 3 says, unto Him be glory in the church. In Matthew, 5, or Matthew 18, when, when uh, He was speaking there about church, uh, 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 church discipline in Matthew 18 and verses 15 through 20 
It's talking about, you know, uh, if, a, if a brother trespasses against thee, you're going to tell him his fault between him alone. And then if they neglect to hear you, you take one with you. And if they neglect to hear them, you take him before the church. And, and then he says in verse 18 of Matthew 18, Verily I say unto you, What shall you so bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what shall be loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's talking about the authority of the church. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as to touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You see, Christ dwells in the midst of his church, his churches. We're the dwelling place of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1. Verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like, like white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as they burned in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now the word star here means messenger, and it's believed that the seven stars are the pastors of the seven churches. And then he goes on, he says in chapter 2, and under the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, right, these seeth, saith, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He's walking in the midst. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and not hast found them liars and hast born, and hast patience, and so on. Go to verse 8. Under the angel of the church at Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and last, which was dead and is alive, I know thy works. And tribulation, and poverty. But thou art rich. And I know the blaspheme of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. I know everything that's going on. 
Because I'm walking in the midst. I'm walking in the midst. Verse 12, And unto the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in the days when Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. I know what's wrong in your church, too. I know the good things, and I know the things that aren't good. The doctrine of Balaam. Verse 18, under the name of the church at Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. You know, he, this is the one that says he walks in the middle of the candlesticks, and, he, and here he says, I'm the Son of God. I know thy works and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last be more than the first. In other words, they have more works than they do charity. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. You know, I have to wonder if they were allowing women to teach. Chapter 3, under the angel of the church of Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Yeah, I know you got a name, but you're just really dead. Then chapter 3, Verse 7, under the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Then verse 14, and the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. I would you were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, not cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, really? You are just kind of disgusting to me. You see, the church, the churches are the dwelling place of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's walking in the midst. He is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. And God, think about it. God has taken us, strangers, Without hope, aliens to the covenant, without God in this world, and has done a work of remaking, of renovation in our lives. Just like someone would take a tree, cut it down, cut it into to, to materials, boards, planks, whatever, 
and build something out of it. That people will look at it and say, wow, that's really nice. And it would be His glory. God's taken us. We're just raw materials. Sinners. Worthless. Enemies of God. Children of wrath. And remade us. Given us an entrance into the kingdom. Made us members of the family of God. And made us part of his body, the church, that we might be the habitation or the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God. The place where God and our Lord Jesus Christ can be glorified and be a witness and a testimony for him in this wicked world in which we're living. What a privilege we have. So I ask the question, is the church important? You know, if somebody asked me that after reading this, I'd say, that's a dumb question. You know, the church is the most important thing in your life. Where you go to church is the most important decision you make in your life. It'll affect so many areas of your life. It'll affect every area of your life. And we have the privilege, again, we have the privilege to be the dwelling place of our holy and righteous God and be a witness to the glory of God, to the world around us that is still without hope and without God in this world. So is the church important to you? Are you a member of the church? Have you been born again? Have you allowed God to take you as you are and remake you into a child of God by the new birth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for instruction it gives us, Father, I pray to help us to see the importance and the privilege we have to serve in your church. I pray that you help us to submit ourselves to thee, that we would uh, be used to bring glory and honor to thee. And Lord, we pray that being in our midst tonight who do not have that assurance of being part of the church, never been born again, never been made a child of God by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would work in their hearts, bring conviction and repentance. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.